Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Presented by BetOnline.ag here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This is March. We survived the first weekend of March Madness and BetOnline had me covered with all my gambling needs the entire way. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. March Madness is upon us and BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It is the best place to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Believe in New York Football Podcast. I am your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and, of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, rate, and subscribe. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez with a double underscore. We have a fantastic show for you guys today. A lot of free agency news to get to. The Giants signed Kenny G, and that pretty much broke the internet. People were freaking out about it, as if we didn't have enough to freak out about with March Madness, but the Kenny G news definitely added to the madness of March. Then uh, days later, they added one of the top corners in the marketplace in Adoree Jackson. We'll get to those details in just a second, but I'm also going to be joined by my friends and yours, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino. They are back. Campy is going to walk me through and talk to me about the Jets free agent move so far. They got a little quiet. They started off hot, got a little quiet, but we'll talk about that stuff. And Pat will be here. To recap his wild weekend of March Madness, I'll talk about mine a little bit too. It was wild in a good way. Hopefully it was the same for Pat. We'll find out about that. So stick around and listen to what we have to say about March. But let's get into some football talk. Hit the music. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Kenny Galladay, Kenny with a capital NY at the end of the Kenny. Kenny New York is a New York Giant. Galladay signed for a four-year, $72 million deal, $40 million guaranteed, which includes a $17 million signing bonus, roster bonuses every year, and a voidable fifth year. A lot to take in with that contract, but the biggest part of it is that this year, the cap hit itself is below $5 million, which freed up space for the Giants to make some moves and stay active in free agency. And they did exactly that. But before we get to the other signings, let's talk real quick about the big news and the impact Kenny's going to have on this offense, which ranked pretty much dead last last year. I mean, let's not count the Jets' offense under Adam Gase. They were last. The biggest thing I heard from this Kenny Galladay signing was that Kenny Galladay said a big thing for him was that he bought into the vision of Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. I mean, Galladay the whole time, people had talked about it, he wanted to be here. Kenny wanted to be here, and I wasn't really sure why 
unless he believed in this offense, unless he thought that there was a way this offense could get turned around behind Jason Garrett. Because that's got to be a contingency factor. I mean, I mean, think about this. The running joke about the Giants signing John Ross last week was that, well, we didn't sign him to run 10-yard curl routes. He's a blazing speed guy. Yeah, well, the same sentiment runs true for Galladay, if not worse, if not more. Kenny Galladay averaged 39.3 yards per catch when targeted 20-plus yards downfield in 2019. Also to note, played 16 games in 2019, 5 games last year he had a hip injury. His average depth per target was 15.4 yards. He has the 4th highest contested catch rate in 2019. Only 2% points behind the leader in Michael Thomas. All I'm trying to get at is I love Kenny. He's a wide receiver one. He's obviously a huge addition for this team. The top guy on the market. Him and, him and Allen Robinson were the one-two. And I wasn't even sold on Galladay. But we got a guy. We're going to help Danny. And we'll get to draft talk plenty. I'll probably even talk about it when Campy and Pat get here. But now that we're doing what we're doing on offense with adding weapons, we got to help the offensive line out in the draft. Because... Getting these weapons is great, but I still have to see how Garrett's going to put them in the scheme. Throw the man the ball downfield, please. And get Danny some time in the pocket. That's that's the next thing. If I could get Garrett to commit to throwing the ball downfield and letting Danny take some chances, more than a handful of game maybe, God forbid, and we can protect him long enough to do so, I'm all the way here for this. Look, Galladay got paid. Paid, but we needed the help, and it's all in. And I've told you guys this. If we don't get it right this year, shit's going to blow up. With Saquon, with Danny, all of them. The team. Dave Gettleman. So they had to get it right. They had to go all in. And they did exactly that. And I'm happy that they did. I'm happy that they did. But just from a logistics standpoint, throw the ball to Galladay downfield, please. I'm not watching another year of a stagnant offense. I want to be happy, but literally it scares the hell out of me. Still having Jason Garrett as an offensive coordinator. But what's comforting is that Galladay said he bought into both Joe Judge and his vision. So that's huge. And I also didn't talk about it last episode. Because I was caught up in all the breaking Leonard Williams news. I kind of bypassed it. But the Giants brought on Kyle Rudolph. Two-year, $16 million deal. And his sure-handedness should most definitely help an offense. Where at that position, couldn't catch a cold. Plus, his blocking is going to be a gigantic help. Because the same person who couldn't catch a cold couldn't block. But at the end of the day, for me, everyone's looking at this Kenny Galladay signing, and the talk of every headline is comparing offenses and comparing offenses and the NFC East. And it, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Dallas had one of the best offenses in the league last year before Dak came, uh, got hurt. It's facts. But guess what? They couldn't stop anyone on defense. And I don't care about the Giants having the best offense in the NFC East. I really don't. Because you know what we do have is the best defense in the NFC East. Probably top five in the league. So I don't care about the offense. But I need the offense to be competent. And I can't stress it enough. Garrett's still the offensive coordinator. And Evan Ingram is still slotted in as our starting tight end. So I'm not buying... That we have the best offense in the NFC East. I don't care. You can make a competition for it. It's definitely better than the Eagles. And it's definitely better than the Redskins. Everyone wants to compare the Redskins receiving court. Let's get real. But you have a case with Dallas. You got a case. I mean, look, they're spending enough money on it. They might as well. 
have the best offense in the freaking division. But it don't matter because when it comes to the defense, they can't even sniff ours. Especially, especially after the additions we made. And let's go right there. Days after signing Kenny Galladay. The Giants full out recruiting effort. And they were recruiting Kenny G too. I mean, I didn't highlight it as much, but with Adoree Jackson, and that's who we signed. Adoree Jackson signed a three-year, $39 million deal. Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Darnay Holmes, all recruiting heavy. Logan Ryan flew out to go to dinner with him. He was supposed to take a meeting where the Eagles didn't even go, which speaks wonders to the chemistry at this uh, of this team, to what Patrick Graham's doing on defense and people believing in that scheme. And people believing in Joe Judge. And what Adoree brings to this team is just excitement. It's so exciting. He's a speedster. Former track star at USC. A playmaker. He doesn't have the most interceptions. Only two. But his, his athleticism speaks wonders. Speaks volumes. Over 40 pass breakups in his career. Can tackle well in space or off the edge in the box. He can play both man and end zone very well he doesn't even matter I saw an interview with him with the Giants he he doesn't have a preference he'll do either which is amazing for Patrick Graham's defense we'll probably play a lot more man because the guy ran like a 4-4 in his 40 he's 25 years old a young guy to add to the secondary and he's going to be able to help us out in the special teams game which was a big area of concern last year I love the Adore Jackson signing been a fan of his since college and I love that the entire defense is on board for it and wanted him, to, uh, wanted him to come and knew the type of player he was. Wholesome, humble, and hardworking. Just a straight athlete. This defense is going to be really good, man. There's depth. If McKinney stays healthy, <sighs> depth. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on with Patrick Graham's defense next year. If you If you thought last year was something... Wait till you see this year. And it didn't stop with a Dory. Before him, they also signed inside linebacker Reggie Raglan. He's joining Big Blue on a one-year deal worth about a million dollars. But I love it. million dollars for Reggie Raglan? He went under the radar in Detroit. But I'm hyped about it. I've had an eye on him since his college days too. Since he was at Bama. And despite him having down seasons, I think he's going to line up at LB2 next to Blake perfectly in this scheme. One of them is going to lay the wood. The other is going to clean it up. And it's a position that we've been at. Uh, we've been thin at for years. We only had Tay last year. And Tay got hurt. But Tay Crowder is going to be slotted in at the LB2 spot too. And, and I don't mind either or. I love the competition. We need competition on both sides of the ball. And I think no one would love it more than Joe Judge and Patrick Graham. But having depth is amazing. It's a huge thing, especially on a defense this deep or this good. I'm also loving the Joe Judge ties to Alabama. I mean, we're just getting guys that used to play with him that are in the NFL now and they know what he's about. And it's setting a tone. It's setting a tone that guys want to go to him. They used to play for him and they want to be there again. Not every guy that played for a former coach like that coach. They don't all go to play for their former coaches. So it says something. And it's a good tie to have if you're getting players from Alabama. Some would say Alabama is a good football school. Some would say. So not a bad place to have ties to. 
We also have one more addition that I didn't talk about last week. It wasn't very major, but the Giants also added a backup quarterback. They added Mike Glennon on a one-year deal worth $1.35 million. That's all I really say about that. I mean, look, if we don't improve the, the offensive line, maybe we got to start worrying about um, Mike Glennon seeing some reps on the offense because, look, the guard position needs to be cleaned up for the Giants. I think we're going to address the heck out of it in this draft, first and second round. I, I, I don't care if we take alignment all six rounds. Um, it's an improvement from Colt McCoy, but look, let's keep Danny safe, please, in the pocket. I want to see Danny in all 16 games this season. Let's get a season under his belt. We're going from Eli to Danny and Danny hasn't played a full season yet where Eli did it pretty much his entire career. So I don't want to have to worry about Mike Glennon, <laughs> to be honest. But it's an improvement from Colt McCoy. And let's keep Danny clean, upright. We got him these weapons. Now let's protect him. But now let me get you guys ready for my conversation with Bill Campy and Pat Martino. Awesome talk. We talk about everything possible. I can never get these guys off the conversation with me. Um... I could talk to them all day long. Most of the time I do, just not on the podcast itself. But we got plenty to catch up on. Campy hasn't been on for a little bit. We're going to talk about all the Jets news um, that they've done in free agency. Corey Davis, uh, Keelan Cole, what the heck is going on at quarterback? Obviously, Deshaun Watson's going through some stuff. So that idea of a trade is not looking like it's going to actually come to fruition. And then we got Pat DiMartino here. We're going to talk about everything March Madness, how we're doing why I'm loving that Pat talked me into betting Loyola Chicago and why we're reeking the benefits of that, and I hope you guys listened. But let's get right into it here. Without further ado, here they are, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino. All right, now I have the great pleasure of welcoming back on my friends and yours. I gave that intro twice this show, but it's true. I think you're a friend. Both of you guys are friends of the people at this point, at least friends of the listeners. They know you're my friends, or at least I at least think so. But we have Pat DiMartino, Bill Campy on the show. And I know this is a podcast, but Pat is wearing a blazer. I feel like that's worth noting. <laughs> I, need, I need the people to know that me and Campy are just going through our Tuesday outfits, but Pat's wearing a blazer. It looks great on you. Looks I great. appreciate that. You know, I've been sort of separated from reality and society the last five days with the NCAA tournament. And uh, so a lot of the coaches this year have not been wearing suits for games. I guess there's really no one in the crowd. They've kind of played it low key. Uh, but Rick Pitino, of course, with Iona, wore a dapper black suit. Nate Oates wore a nice uh, sport co coat as well. So. I wanted to, they, they inspired me to dress up today for the podcast. So I'm still in NCAA tournament mode. Well, we are definitely in NCAA tournament mode. We'll get to that shortly. I also think, you know, there are some heavy set guys that coach basketball. So maybe they don't want to wear the suits because it gets hot. Listen, you know, I'm not even that heavy set. I'm not a big guy. It just gets a little hot on the sidelines. Sometimes you're running, jumping, screaming. I mean, imagine, can't be, imagine during a football game, you wore a suit on the sideline. I don't think, I don't think that ever plays in a football game. Can't, you can't rock a blazer mid Friday night lights. I just don't think it plays. <laughs> I mean, I don't appreciate the, uh, the inclination that I am a very large man, which I am a very large man. That wasn't an but, inclination. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, I wouldn't want to wear a suit either. Obviously, no, no, I, I, I would rather just I, sweatpants, sweatshirt, and throw me out there with that. I, I would 
feel like a pig in a suit if I'm wearing that out on the sideline. It would just be bad, especially I would be sweating everywhere. It would be pretty ugly scene. All so. I think of Bob Huggins, uh, I was watching a lot of Syracuse basketball, go orange, big time stuff here, guys. We made the Sweet 16. We're here to talk football first, but I'm excited about that. Didn't touch on it in the show yet. But yeah, Bob Huggins, that man in a suit, I, I mean, I, I would frame that picture if he ever did that. Um, I'm sure maybe back in his day he did. But let's get into football first before we get into full degeneracy with me and Pat here. Can't be the Jets made some moves. They, they, they did the reverse Giants. Okay, the Giants were very quiet the first two days. Everyone was losing their freaking minds. The Jets came out, signed the first big receiver. They got Corey Davis. I love the Carl Lawson signing. And then they got a little quiet. Yeah, I haven't done too much since. Um, but, uh, you could touch on the individual players if we want to right now. I was just going to say, so far, what's your feel of how free agency has gone for the Jets? Have they started to fill some holes? Um, so just looking at the group that they they really brought in, um, Carl Lawson, DN, Sheldon Rankins, D-tackle, Corey Davis, wide receiver, Keelan Cole, wide receiver, Jared Davis, middle linebacker, LaMarcus Joyner, uh, safety, slot guy possibly, um, Dan Feeney, offensive lineman, offensive guard, Justin Hardy, special teamer, Tyler Croft, tight end. So uh, the big impact signer signings are really – the biggest one is Carl Lawson, I think, hands down. Um, this is a guy that's going that, – that has all the fancy stats in terms of pressures. He just doesn't have the material stats that everyone wants to see, like sacks and the numbers being so high. Um, but he's got a, you know, a, a top-class motor. Um, I really like the Sheldon Ranking signing. I know he's been injured really the past two years, but this is a player that was – I think he's two years removed from uh, double-digit sacks as a D-tackle, and you get the ability to pair him with Quinnen in the middle. You could have quite the combination uh, with some pressure uh, coming up in the middle of that forefront that they're going to be having now. So you address the D-end, which, right, the classic trope of the Jets. They haven't had a pass rusher since John Abraham. I've always said that as well. I think a lot of people, Jets fans in particular, I, I feel really think this was a good signing and that addressed something that needed to be addressed. So I think collectively all Jets fans had a sigh of relief when they saw that signing, um, despite our, our known impatience uh, in a lot of different ways. The Corey Davis signing is interesting. I was really on the Kenny Galladay bandwagon. I really wanted him, so I'm pretty jealous of you, Rob. Sorry about that, man. Sorry. I know, I know. Well, it's... It's interesting how it panned out, and you see the just kind of the, the different ways that the Giants and Jets handled it. Yeah, the Giants definitely took a patient role, and the Jets, you know, they made a splash the first day or two just with some of those signings, Corey Davis and, and, and Lawson. Um, and we talked about it kind of through text, how we felt like they were dropping the ball, the Giants, because of the Leonard Williams renegotiating renegotiations from the tag and how that was holding them up to cap and and we thought that they were going to miss out on some guys and it proved to actually work out for them. And they've made quite the splash with just getting well, Galladay and I mean, too, can't be too. the jets were also linked. I mean, Kenny Galladay, but they were tied to maybe getting Juju too. Right. And I think too, with Kenny Galladay's situation, because Corey Davis in a sense didn't necessarily set the market, but it showed kind of where the market for receiver was. And it's definitely different than what everyone thought it was going to be. Right. I think everyone expected the dump trucks to back up and like, you know, 
get money poured on him. And Kenny Galladay got paid. Obviously, he's getting like close to 18 mil a year. But the thing with the Giants, they were super creative, both with Leonard Williams and Kenny Galladay, which I'm surprised about, at least with Galladay, where they manipulated contracts in a way that they definitely don't normally do. And it freed up money for them to do other things this year. Um, I was definitely surprised by it because if you hear Berman talk ever, all he ever mentioned is that you don't want to backload contracts. You want to do, but I think Gettleman knows he's on the hot seat and it's kind of win now. And it's like, we'll worry about that in three, four years. And, but still, um, you know, I was very, I was in the same spot. I thought Galladay would be a good fit with the jets. They had the money to do it. And then I was surprised to hear that they were thinking of maybe pairing him up with Juju who ended up going you know, with Pittsburgh and only got that deal with Baltimore. I, the, so to talk about just the contracts quick and then we'll circle back to yeah. Juju. Uh, really, you're seeing a, along the league this idea of like voided years. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a, you know, like the Saints kind of originated that. And you're seeing it grow um, just in popularity, especially with the way the cap fell because of obviously COVID protocols and, and the, the money that was lost. Um, so you're seeing all these different teams adapt. And, you know, that's why this free agency period, there are so many short-term one-year, two-year contracts and three-year contracts are almost like two-year contracts. And the two-year contracts are almost like one-year contracts because the money's all front-loaded or, you know, these years that are, are into the, the contracts, everyone's kind of like, oh, well, three years, four years, that's a long time, or that's a lot of money. In actuality, it's it's really not that bad when it comes down to it. And you can cut the guy and it won't actually cost you all that much. So it is weird to see it. Now, the whole concept of Juju, um, initially, I was like, ah, it, it, it kind of, you know, Juju's antics, whatever. He's still a young guy, and he still obviously has the ability to play um, in the right situation. The fact that the Ravens and – well, the Ravens specifically didn't offer him up more guaranteed money or just uh, along those lines is kind of shocking to me because that that receiving group for the Ravens is brutal outside of Hollywood Brown. Um, that, that's a team that desperately needed him. Um, the only way that the Jets, I think, swing getting Juju is if they cut Jamison Crowder. And they could have, and, and it would have, I think, saved them about $9 million. And then they could have probably just, you know, move that to the Juju contract or whatever. Um, but I think I'd take Crowder over Juju, at least, because he's, at, at this point in time, he, you know, obviously he's not a headache for anybody. And he's, he was coming off a very good year on a, on a very bad offense. So you think you add pieces around and this offense takes a step in the right direction and Crowder is consistent and at least the same level, then I don't see how it's uh, a negative to keep him around. Now, you know, the Corey Davis signing is basically a signing where Douglas is betting on Davis continuing this upward trend. Um, He was picked in the top 10 of the draft. I think what 2017 was when he was picked 2018. Yeah, I think it's 20. So it, he was picked there for a reason. He's got all the talent that you need. He's got the size. Um, it, it's a nice little tandem if, you know, with Denzel Mims, if Corey Davis continues to, you know, be a guy that is around 1,000 yards, eight to 10 touchdowns a year. 
I think Mims is going to continue to go up. I, I really liked what he showed his rookie year. Typically, right, rookie receivers, uh, I mean, they're not always Justin Jefferson type numbers. They're yeah. typically they're not. Typically, they have some type of impact, but um, they they have their best years are yet to come. I think Mims dealing with some injury issues, obviously last year showed a lot in the bit that we saw him the eight games or so. So I expect a lot out of him. And then you still have Crowder. So your receiving group is certainly improved for the Jets, hands down. Now, the problem is their tight ends still are not anything that I think is left to be desired. And uh, the offensive line obviously needs to be dressed. Uh, I still think the D-line as well. So there's still plenty of holes to be filled. Uh, but I, I think that Douglas has played it the right way. I really do. I, I don't think he went out and went crazy um, and, and spent it like, you know, the Patriots did uh, where they overpaid, I think, a couple of guys that don't necessarily oh, deserve a that. A lot money. of guys. No, but, I mean, Nelson Aguilar. Jesus. Come on, bud. Well, I mean, yeah, him and Corey Davis are making the same money, and that could be a – contract or a situation that doesn't end well um, if he gets the yips and he plays like he did when he was but I wanted to stay on too though you mentioned the D-line and just to talk about Lawson I do feel because I know he's a high motor guy one he's blended in in Cincinnati's like poor defense the last couple of years so you don't really hear about him because Cincinnati can't stop anyone but I mean he had 32 QB hits last year only mm-hmm. accounted for five and a half sacks I mean 32 QB hits is ridiculous <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely insane. Like, and I'm not comparing him to Leonard Williams, but it's very, his numbers to me were just like very Leonard Williams-esque. Like everything but the sacks are there. And it's like, if you're worried about the sacks, like just look at the hits, look at how often he's wrecking the game in the backfield. It's going to come. That's going to come. And with Salah scheming him up, I think he's going to eat. I think he's going to eat New York. I really like that signing. I think it is a great signing, but the one thing that people have to understand is that the days of four or five seconds and the, the quarterback having the ball in his hands are long gone. The ball is out of out of a quarterback's hands within two and a half seconds, and if it's at three, they're getting sacked half the time, So, or they're getting hit. So the fact that he's getting hits, it means he's being disruptive in the backfield. It's a great signing. It really is. And you surround him with better players, right? You pair him with Quinnen. You get a guy like Sheldon Rankins. Um, and you eventually get another end in this year's draft or next year's. I would prefer next year's. Uh, then you're going to have a nice little combination in the front. And because, right, Sala and his, his experience with the Niners, they got after the quarterback. They need to have the guys in place to be able to fit his scheme. So Lawson's certainly a step in the right direction. I think Sheldon Rankins is. I think Glennon's going to do a great job this year. I would like to see them, the Jets, since they still have money and there's still some quality guys out there, at least for a short-term contract. I really like them bringing in a guy like Kerry Hyder, who was just with the Niners and really did pretty well uh, in that scheme. Or Alden Smith. Bring in Alden Smith. I don't see any any problem with that either. A guy that's you know 31, 32, had a nice little redemption year with the Cowboys. Not a three down guy, but he could be serviceable in a in a I think a, a third down rushing role. You know, if you're relying on him to be just a stalwart at the end position, probably not going to be a bit you know a possibility. But I think in doses he could be very lethal. 
especially in that type of system. Um, and you're, you shine him, you sign him short term, give him an incentive laden contract. I think that's a win win for everybody. You know, the, the dark horse is Clowney. Clowney's still out there. Would I take him for a year contract? Absolutely. Do I want to give him big time money for long term? No. And I think he's holding out to break the bank with somebody, but I don't think it's. But I don't know. Cause like, and the, and the Giants are kind of tied to him. I think it, it depends. The situation's going to matter. I mean, if he can smuggle a long term deal out of, out of a team, obviously he's going to jump on it. But he did this last year. I don't know if the market's yeah. going to be there for him. He really didn't do it. Here's the thing, though. The Giants, with all these signings, they're in win now mode. Yeah, and that's that's are. case in point. You just signed a Dory Jackson. You just yep. you just get Galladay. You get another tight end with Rudolph. The thing with a Dory Jackson, I talked about too. What's hilarious because I love hearing that Juju's only other deal was Baltimore. A Dory Jackson was supposed to go visit Philly, who's desperate for anybody, any defensive help. He didn't even take the right. trip. Like he, they like Logan Ryan flew out to take him to dinner to be like, you're not driving to Philly. And he never went. And like, that's like level of like, it's not even petty, but I love to hear that. Like those rivalries exist, you know, that it's like, no, you're on our side. You're on our side. Um, But so in regards to the jets and we could bring this all together because you talked about uh, the receivers. I do think running back is a glaring need that they're going to have to address in the draft. I think uh, now more than ever. And I said this with the giants, I think, you know, the madness of free agency in March in general um, kind of clears things up come April time on what the heck they're going to actually do. You kind of have a better vision on what's going on. And still, though, obviously running back, and we talked about maybe addressing the offensive line later in that first round in our mock. But, dude, what the heck is going on at quarterback? I, look, and I know Corey Davis was interviewed today. It seemed like a very cookie cutter, like, yes, no answer. Like, I came in, Sam Darnold was going to be my quarterback. He's supposed to say things like that. But – I mean, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. We're, we're a month away from the draft. Sam's still on the team. I, I mean, Watson's dealing with what he's got going on. That's a whole clusterfuck of a situation. So, I mean, here's how I'll phrase it, I guess. If they don't trade Sam, are you still okay with taking a quarterback at two? If they don't trade Sam and they take you know, Zach Wilson, who I think they should take it to, um, it's not the end of the world because you can have a situation where the season comes around and hey it's inevitable guys get hurt uh this happened when they had teddy bridgewater um and they held on to him and they had uh darnold i believe at the same time and then eventually they traded bridgewater to the saints they got some assets you know so it's not the end of the world will new york media lose their minds yes guarantee it um but you can have a competition of sorts going into camp. I still think it is the right move to take quarterback at two. Or if you are completely sold, you know, if Douglas thinks that Darnold is the answer, then you don't stay at two and you trade back and you get more assets. And That's I knew the- you would say that, ready? I'm going to jump in and let you know right now. We have, you have a tight end issue over on the Jets. We have a, a lovely Pro Bowl tight end over here with the New York Giants. Hear me out. We'll give you him. Whatever else you want with it, just give us two so we can draft Panay Sewell since you guys don't want him. And we got a deal. I don't care. Take our first. I, does it, just take Evan Ingram. Just literally take him and, and we just call it a day. Just I, would it. Rather, I would rather take a bag of balls. Um, <laughs> Tyler uh, Croft. Tyler Croft over I'll, Evan Ingram. I will take Tyler Croft over Evan Ingram. <laughs> the week. Um, at least he can block. So, it, I mean, 
there's there's a variety of things that the Jets could do. I'm in I'm in the camp of trade Darnold and get probably a third. I still think that the market's there. Possibility of a second two with the Broncos. The Broncos have not done anything in terms of. I mean, Drew Locke. I don't think is the answer at all. I, I think that Darnold showed more than than Locke. I think that you still have teams out there. The Niners still don't know what they're doing. They may want to move up to in the draft. Uh, so there are still teams there. I mean, the Saints. They signed Winston, but what is it? Is it the bridge? You know, there there are all still some spots that are touch and go. Uh, so I think the market's still there. It's just that the way that uh, the the signings went out with free agency and and some of the moves with Wentz going and you know uh, Tarad Taylor going to the Texans and you know some of these backups that are like one B type players went to some teams that were in the discussion for you know Darnold type moves speaking of 1b quarterbacks going to teams uh mitch Trubisky, arguably the second right. best quarterback in the afc east now <laughs> right uh, yeah that was a good that was a good you know and good end point for Trubisky. that's a that's a win-win i think for i both. think that's a good move for buffalo too yeah i mean worst case scenario you know mitch has at least been there before and doesn't necessarily yeah. perform he, well but. fits the system a lot better than a very immobile matt barkley so oh god that was um, their backup quarterback yeah or so, Nathan Peterman. Uh, no, Pat's, Pat's been quiet. I do want to bring Pat in here, and I'll keep it football before we get college basketball because I thought there was an interesting quote from a former Dolphins quarterback about the current Dolphins quarterback. Fitzmagic's now in the NFC East. Love that. Two times a year I'll get a little Fitzmagic in my life. Nothing wrong with that. Um, he's playing for the football team. But he did mention that he believes in Tua. I think there's been a lot of hate on Tua lately. He said he has elite accuracy. And he's uh, he's also a lead at being instinctive on the field and knowing where to make his decisions. I think people shit on Tua a lot. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily deserved either. He had a winning record as a quarterback. Um, but I thought they were interesting comments. Kind of put some Tua, uh, Tua haters to bed hearing that, you know, the guy competing with him last year uh, supported him. Where are you at on Tua? Are you a fan, Pat? Do you like you some Tua or, you know? You... Man, that's put me on the spot. I mean, I, I am not. I have not followed the Dolphins closely enough to really, you know, put a line in the sand and say which side I am on on Tua. But to me, the body of work is not large enough to make a judgment against. So if I believed in him enough to draft him where I did, certainly I'm never, ever jumping ship after that uh, sample size, limited offseason, uh, coming off a severe, severe injury. He could, I mean, even if he played 10 times worse than he did last year, I wouldn't be off him. So, you know, I, I think they have to be behind him for at least a full season before they can evaluate anything, in my opinion. Listen, when, when you're in a blazer like that, and we haven't heard from you, you got to be ready to get thrown on the spot. You know, listen, we'll, 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 we'll get into college basketball, but we, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to bring it all together here so this way it's inclusive, Pat. I don't want you to not talk to me. I don't want you to not talk to me. I like the uh, I like all the signings so far for the the New York area teams. To be honest with you, I think they sort of plucked some guys that were potentially poorly coached or poorly utilized in previous destinations or just in not ideal situations. Keelan Cole is really talented. He's have had you know outrageous quarterback issues in his previous stop in Jacksonville, to say the least, and a loaded receiver depth chart actually. So he got a little bit buried depth chart wise. I like Keelan Cole a lot. 
I think he could be in a big-time competition with Crowder for starting slot. It gives him a lot of depth there. Uh, Corey Davis, to me, maybe from a fantasy perspective, he's like a boomer bust guy. But in real life, he actually has a very high floor. Solid all-around player. A Western Michigan guy, just like uh, Antonio Brown. Sort of reminds me of that Mac school that's very polished, maybe not as dominant athletically. Uh, Jared Davis, linebacker. I'm a big fan of his. He hasn't graded out well, which I find weird. Maybe a little bit poorly coached, but whenever I watched Lions film over the years, my eyes gravitated. I'm like, who is that middle linebacker? He is violent in the run game, physical, amazingly big, strapping athlete. I think he'll fit in the system really well. So uh, I like all the jet signings. I think Mims, Corey Davis, Cole slash Crowder is a big-time receiving core. I'm high on Mims. I don't think Galladay would have fit as well there. I think he was a better fit for the Giants. You know, Mims is sort of that bigger receiver, deep threat guy. I don't think the Jets necessarily needed another one of those, especially at that price tag, obviously. After the Davis signing, I didn't really see the Galladay, um, you know, signing happening anymore. And they did that so early on. But I think initially you were thinking maybe the Jets could land two guys here. Yeah, that um, was that was my thinking behind it. I, I just wanted – I like Galladay. I thought they had the cash. Obviously they did. And I figure that you get a legit number one – and you pair him with Mims, I think that was a nice, would have been a nice little combination, and obviously Crowder. But, yeah, I, I like the prospects of it. There, it's, it's certainly better than the group last year, you know, Perriman and Mims and Crowder. So Perriman's, you know, on the greener pastures, I suppose, going to the Lions. So good luck with that, Detroit. I was just thinking, too, and Pat was like, uh, some poor coach and poor, you know, organized teams we're thinking the Jets signed from the Lions the Bengals and the Jags the Je- the Giants also got Galladay from the Lions they took Reggie Ragland from the Lions so really we're just I mean you know not the best run <laughs> organizations Detroit Detroit definitely isn't in the uh, tops of the league in terms of um you know competency on how the hell they run their stuff over there um they got Jared Goff to deal with now so <laughs> woo, good for them good for them the one thing the one guy that I, I really think is and I think you saw it in some of the New York Twitter sphere and, and the Jets Twitter sphere, but this Justin Hardy guy is going to be a fan favorite. I really think he's going to uh, just showcase a lot of his heart and his determination on special teams. Um, was some, he from Atlanta? Is he? Is he uh, New Orleans. He New was Orleans, a, New Orleans. Saints player. And he's just got a lunch pail attitude and he likes to lay the wood. So I'm excited to see him and Justin and, you know, our, our special teams, obviously, we had a lot of practice last year. Um, other than actually kicking field goals, we are pretty good in uh, that that area of the, uh, the field. So um, we have plenty of practice punting. So we got a nice gunner uh, to add to that. Um, but we do need a better kicker than uh, Chase McLaughlin or uh, Sam freaking Thicken, who I just can't stand. Um, so... Uh, that is something that I think will be addressed. Obviously, Pat, you alluded to it way back when last year about the uh, legitimacy of Braden Mann, and you were right because he's a nice he's a nice punter. So uh, that was a nice thing. The Jared Davis thing, I am very interested to see how he is developed and how he's used, and with his combination of C.J. Mosley, Mosley coming back. I mean, they could trade him, but that's dead money. I don't see them trading him. Uh, but I think Davis is best suited for that, obviously, that middle linebacker position in 4-3. I don't see him being able to really cover in space very well, but I like him as a sledgehammer-type linebacker. Um, so 
Will they move C.J. Mosley to that outside backer spot? I think he might be more capable depending on his health. Um, so that's – I didn't see the, the, the bad, you know, in that signing because it's one year. It's basically, you know, a tryout of sorts. So if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it's, you know, low risk, high reward. Um, the one thing other than a D end, like I said earlier, Kerry Hyder, Alden Smith, I, or even Carlos Dunlap. One of those three, I think, needs to become a New York Jet for this year. And, you know, two years tops, but this year, I think that that rounds out that D-line nicely. And you can still add to the in the draft mid-rounds, maybe add another guy. I mean, you have a couple of uh, – Fodakasi and a couple of other players that are good in the, in the middle of the defense, but you just need some help more so on the edges. Um, and I see just – I would like one more body added to that. And the other thing they need to do desperately is they got to get a corner, another corner to add to that. Whether that's Kawan Williams, another Niner, former Niner guy that's a free agent, um, Richard Sherman, who I don't think they're going to get. I think he's going to go to a contender. Or Malcolm Butler. I Malcolm Butler had a nice season last year, uh, more in like the middle trajectory of just like what he's able to do. He's no longer, you know, that guy that's game-winning, you know, pick at the end of a Super Bowl type of thing. But – He's certainly better. I think that the Jets have decent, you know, Bryce Hall had a nice little rookie year. I have always actually liked Bless Austin. I think he's a nice a nice corner at that position as well. I just think they need another body to add some more depth there. I think that would be very helpful, and it obviously would help out with just the scheme being inputted. And then you can – you've plugged enough holes where you can, in certain areas, just take the best player available or focus on what? Grab a quarterback at two. Grab Zach Wilson. Get an offensive lineman end of the, end of the first uh, round. Grab a tight end or maybe a running back at the beginning of the second round, or double down and get another offensive lineman at the beginning of the second round. And then you can play around with the third, the fourth, and the fifth round picks. Uh, I just think it's it's Douglas has has laid the foundation. I just think he's not quite done, and we still have money that we could use to really help out that defense. You definitely got a shit ton of money. It's like thirty million still left available after Lawson's deal. It might be less because of these other signings. You could also address. I, I know we were talking about how maybe adding another receiver. Uh, that's something you know you could do at the end of the draft as well. Mm-hmm. You didn't mention uh, Braxton Barrios or Barrios. Yeah, Barrios. Listen, I'm a fan. He's white. Please receiver. What's not to like? What's not to like? No. Uh, so I wanted to shout out Braxton Berrios. Uh, look, I think the Jets have money to definitely do more, but I think we also talked about this, whether it was early in the show or off air itself. You also don't have to feel the need to overextend and overpay on guys, even like a clowny. There's just the foundations there. I think the Malcolm Butlers of the world, that was someone who was tied to the Giants too on like a veteran minimum kind of one year deal too. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's Salah's defense. He's definitely looking for depth. So I would expect something more like that than them to break the bank on, you know, whoever's the best available still out there. Absolutely. And that's basically what Douglas has shown is that he's, he's not going to break the bank on a free agent. He's going to build through the draft. That's his whole, that's his whole frame of thought. And uh, I, I'm in favor of it. I'm a, I'm a Douglas believer. Um, and we'll see. Uh, I'm very excited to see how the draft plays out. Yeah, you got enough picks to do it. Uh, Pat, this is how I'm going to segue it to you because I, I, I need you to realize that I was on Loyola Chicago before you told me about it last episode. I felt good about them, but I, I didn't believe 
I didn't believe. And you started, you started reading me Ken Palm stats. I started listening a little bit more. And then when we got off the air, I found out Sister Jean got both her vaccine shots. She's 101 years old and she was going to the games. And I'm sorry, but all, all the Ken Palm stats aside, there was no way Loyola Chicago was losing with Sister Jean giving pump up speeches before the game with both vaccines in her arm. Just with, there's no way it was happening and it hasn't happened yet. We're here. They survived the first weekend. So that was awesome. <laughs> it certainly was. I mean, I think they played probably the two cleanest games of any team in the tournament. Uh, I can really only count one or two live ball turnovers over the course of two games. Uh, defensively, just unbelievable in their rotations and their versatility. Halftime adjustments were great both games. Georgia Tech threw the kitchen sink at them. They played really well, actually, uh, in the opener. And I don't think Illinois played poorly. I don't think they were a no-show. I've heard some people very critical on Illinois. Illinois, Loyola Chicago was the better team that day to me. And, you know, if they played 10 games, I think Illinois probably wins six. Uh, it, it wasn't a one in a million type occurrence. You know, they're evenly matched. And I think Loyola Chicago probably has the cleanest road to the final four right now, besides oh. probably Gonzaga. Well, because that entire side of the bracket is absolutely in shambles. To think Houston would have been out too if Rutgers pulls off that upset would have been insane to think of just what the four teams were. That, that would have been a 10-11, Loyola's eight, and then you have a 12 in Oregon State. They should handle Oregon State. I know they're finally favorites. I think it's a seven-point line. I love Loyola still. Um, but you're right. Their defense was stout. And I think people are mad because Crudwig just doesn't look very attractive. He's not a very appealing face to look at. You know, you want your best player to not have a pencil mustache and just like a, you know, at least a shape up. But, you know, listen, I embrace him for who he is. Um, and I'm happy Loyola Chicago is there. Hopefully we don't have to run into Syracuse. Um, but if we do listen. I'm okay. I'll play both sides. I'm happy Buddy Bayheim's ball. And I told you, you like San Diego State. I faded myself, picked San Diego State on every bracket I could, bet Syracuse in real life. Dude, Buddy's a bucket. I tried to warn you. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't really understand it, but the guy's soaking wet right now. And Joe Girard's starting to ball too, which was nice to see. Yeah, they were on fire. They played uh, two excellent games. Uh, uh, almost blew it though. You saw the end of that West Virginia game. I mean, that was like how to blow a nine point lead under a minute. It was disgusting to look at. Uh, it was also West Virginia's game plan was so abysmal. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Putting what Culver was. in the middle of the zone when he clearly was uncomfortable there, he couldn't shoot. Uh, he was sped up. It took them so long to figure out how they wanted to attack that offense, uh, that three, that two, three zone defense. I'm sorry. And uh, it just, the game got away from them. West Virginia stinks. A lot of these teams, these power five teams stink. I feel like I learned a lot about college basketball these last five days because I really have not focused on anything else. I kind of lost even my grip on reality. I would say in the past, you know, 24 hours or so I was at my buddy's place in Hoboken. I just drove back to dude. What the heck you were in Hoboken. You didn't hit me in Campia. What the, what is I'm, that about? In Hoboken for in, it was grueling, man. I literally did not do anything besides stare at a TV for four days straight. I didn't even recognize the roads on my way home last night or my house when I got home. I feel really like I'm in a dream, a fever dream state, actually. Well, I think you're having a March Madness relapse because, like, we need what, – what, what was needed today was at least a 12 o'clock game or maybe some NIT action. I'm not going to watch the women's side of, uh, you know, March Madness. And listen, women, women, women's basketball is great. We are, we are a, um, 
you know, a men's and women's basketball show, pro men's and women's, but it's not the same. It doesn't hit the heartstrings as, as much as uh, the men's did. And so, you know, I'm kind of relapsing on it too here, Pat, but I will say this. We're doing okay. Michigan's still alive. I mean, as a whole, I'm on a heater. I'm on, I'm on one of the biggest heaters over a three, four day span I've been a part of. Um, shout out to my friend, Vic. I thought I was getting off my heater. And then I realized he was a mush and he was on a cold streak, started fading him and got back on to my heater. And, uh, well, Pat, how are, how are you doing? How are you doing in terms of, um, solid. Uh, I'm 17 and nine in, uh, outrights, you know, not outrights in pregame, uh, bets, you know, I, I dabbled in some live waiters. I'm probably about even with the in-game stuff. But, you know, up significant units uh, in pregame. And I actually have some outrights that I'm live to. Michigan is a big one. Loyola I have from in-season and, again, from pre-tournament. And I doubled up again uh, in-tournament just because I think their path is very clear. I also have outrights left still to Alabama and Houston. Uh, Knocked out with Colorado. Knocked out with Ohio State. So I have four teams that can do it. I just added USC this morning. I was about to say that's the only other team I had that I think you didn't really have skin on. I had USC and they're playing great. The yeah, I added them at twenty six to one. Uh, the Pac twelve has been so strong. I'm actually down on Gonzaga. No one else is. Uh, I've I've been seeing stuff on Twitter and everywhere about how Gonzaga is an unstoppable force. I was a little disappointed with some things I saw in the Oklahoma game. So I'm looking to fade them. And if I could get them or Baylor out of there, I have the next five favorites. So that's what I'll be rooting for the rest of the way. Baylor, I was more impressed with than Gonzaga. Gonzaga did keep that Oklahoma game way too close. There's a few questions I want to pick at here. Um, I want to get to Houston. I want to get to Gonzaga again. I want to start with Michigan just because I know that's where our head's at right now. And we didn't know how they'd hold up. They definitely have probably their bigger or biggest test yet with Florida state coming up, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, we kind of saw this coming. This is the, the, I, I have Florida state advancing in most of my brackets from this game in this situation. So, I mean, brackets aside though, are you feeling comfortable going into this game? You, you didn't really know how they'd play without uh, Isaiah livers. And now we kind of have somewhat of a sample size to look at here with the last two games. So how are you feeling with this team as a whole? I think they probably played their best game in the last couple of weeks against LSU. Uh, they didn't get off to the cleanest start. They overcame some adversity. Um, I think they match up okay with Florida State. Michigan doesn't turn the ball over. Florida State is not actually not necessarily the highest IQ basketball team. Colorado has turnover issues, so that was a nice matchup for them in the previous round. Um, I, I think they will sneak by Florida State. After that, I think it, every game is going to be really tough for them. I, I don't know if they can score efficiently enough without Livers. You know, he's a guy who could score 20, you know, like it's nothing. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough points to beat Alabama. That's you know, what I was going to get at. Beat a team like Gonzaga, to beat a team like USC potentially. So I'm kind of – I'm hoping to get Michigan through one more game and then sort of hedge out uh, periodically from there to the final. Uh so, yeah, well, I wanted to get to Bama because you were right and you told me about them early on. And, I mean, they shoot the freaking lights out. Uh, they, they can really knock down shots. Their guards are uh, big time. And that's what I'm worried about. I mean, if they get past Florida State, which is a good defensive team, it's going to take a lot of them offensively. Then they got to bring the firepower um, and somehow match up with Alabama. I don't know if they're exactly going to be able to do that. But, you know, that's that's a nice – 
gauge on me because Florida, Michigan is probably one of the closer lines. Yeah, it's definitely the, the second closest line here other than Oregon, USC. That's an in, uh, in-conference game, which is going to be awesome too. I'm on USC there um, just because I still have the futures. Let's talk though Houston and let's talk Gonzaga a little bit um, because I'm biased with Q's and Houston almost lost to Rutgers. So tell me the temperature on Houston right now. I mean, obviously they didn't look so great. That was probably their worst game in a while. And really, I still don't think they had any business winning that game, but they did and they were real happy about it. Do you think that was just kind of the anomaly? Do you think that was that should have been the loss and now they're going to kind of smooth sail from here on out until they have to see Loyola Chicago in the next round? So they struggled in the first half in the, in the opener against Cleveland State. Uh, their best defense, the defensive player of the year from the conference, their sort of captain and glue guy name is escaping me at the moment, but he missed the second half of the Cleveland state game. They kind of eventually got their feet under them and and buried that team. But I didn't think he was going to play against Rutgers and he ended up playing. He was nowhere near a hundred percent. And I think everyone kind of relaxed a little bit when he became, you know, they they went into that game with the mindset of we weren't going to have our best guy. Then all of a sudden he shows up, everyone else relaxed, but he, and he wasn't hundred percent. So there was just a general malaise. That's at least how I saw it. And I thought Rutgers actually played really, really well. Uh, I did not think Rutgers was particularly sharp against Clemson, but they played much more crisply against Houston. To answer your question, I think Houston can regroup now a week off, uh, you know, some practice time. I actually Syracuse, it bothers me that I did not bet Syracuse in their second game because the short practice time between round one and round two, I think is where the zone really is elite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you can argue, well, why didn't San Diego state play better? They had a long time to prepare that mountain West conference. Let me down, man. Those teams stunk in the tournament. Utah state couldn't hit a shot they just couldn't, those teams couldn't score. They defended well, but they went on massive droughts. You know, Utah state was in the game against Texas tech and couldn't score enough. But to answer your question, I think Syracuse, as long as the kid uh, doesn't have a serious hip injury and they hold him out for the next game, I think they will dissect the Syracuse zone and uh, and put a beating on that team personally. Yeah, that's what I, that, see, that's what I'm looking at it with, too, because I think, you know, in March, the zone catches people by surprise, but I don't love that they have a weak layoff here. I don't know if that cools Buddy down. And honestly, if Joe is not hitting 40-footers like he was uh, right. early in that game against West Virginia, it's probably a completely different thing. They're going to need something like that if they're going to pull off that upset. Um, it's I'm obviously going to root for them. But, you know, Houston is a team I had making it to the Final Four, so it's hard for me to look past that. I want to talk about Gonzaga. I also want to touch on Baylor because these are two teams that are, uh, they're facing that I've hated on. I, I'm just like, all right, it's a matter of when Creighton and Villanova lose, not if. And here they are. They're, st- they're still here. They don't want to go away. They're, they're not the real Big East. Maybe Villanova is, but it doesn't count. It doesn't count. They're not real Big East, but the Big East is holding, holding strong right now, man. Uh, they're both, you know, pretty big dogs here. And Villanova less, uh, half, half the points less against Baylor, who's also a one seed. Six and a half points here on DraftKings that I'm looking at. Creighton 13 and a half. Uh, we could talk about both teams, but let's generalize it with this. Which one's more likely? to get the upset pulled up on them, do you think? I mean, you're fading Gonzaga, like you said, so are you sticking with that? I mean, outright upset, I have to, 
I, I can't tell you Creighton is more likely to be Gonzaga than Nova is to be Baylor. Just mm-hmm. mathematically, it's it's too stark to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Baylor matches up interestingly with Villanova. Nova doesn't really play with a true five. Neither does Baylor. Uh, I don't think Baylor will destroy them on the glass. I, I'm a little worried about the game for Baylor. You know, they're probably better one through five, but I know Villanova is going to play a strong game. I think Villanova is getting more confidence. Yeah. I think some of these guys, Archie Diacono hadn't scored all season. He had six. So both games, they had six key points when a lot of guys were cold in the first game, Brian Antoine hit back-to-back threes against Winthrop when stuff was not going particularly well, when Winthrop was making their run and Nova was actually down early in the game to North Texas and not shooting the ball. Well, and Archie Diacono hit two threes, his first six points of the entire season. So, you know, those were, those guys stepping up was huge. And, and anyone at any time can do that for Nova. They're well-coached, they're well-developed, and someone else is going to have to do something unexpected to stay in the game against Baylor. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet against that. I probably don't have a play on that game. I'll be rooting for Nova. I love Jay Wright. Uh, Gonzaga, they, they have a good matchup. Creighton likes to push the pace. Uh, that plays right into the Zags' hands. The Zags switch everything defensively. It's a tough, really just a tough matchup for Creighton. I was down on Gonzaga more from a mentality standpoint. I bet Gonzaga against Oklahoma first half in game. I think I got pretty fortunate. They covered both ends of that. Mm-hmm. But the only way Oklahoma could score is if you let Austin Reeves take you off the dribble. This kid had an amazing tournament, really a legendary two games against Missouri and Gonzaga. And the fact that they were able to get the switch and get Timmy guarding him 30 feet from the basket every time without Gonzaga really fighting it, Mark Few, I thought, had a terrible plan. Eventually, they started some three-quarter court trapping press. Mm -hmm. Uh, They started hedging the ball screen, and the bucket stopped falling for Oklahoma. But that's two things that confirms some fear I have. One, I don't think Mark Few is a good tournament coach. And two, I don't think Gonzaga is mentally strong enough on the defensive end to win this entire thing. I think they will stumble at some point. I think it could very well happen against the winner of USC, Oregon. Uh, USC is a better defensive team. So that's where I would lean uh, in that area. But, you know, I wouldn't be totally stunned if Creighton is, is pesky in this game. I, I like them with the points, uh, even though on paper, it's a bad matchup. Like I said, mentally, I think Creighton will be shot out of a cannon and I'm not sure Gonzaga is willing to, change what they do they think they're good enough a little bit of arrogance you know not not exactly game plan specific and flexible like a Loyola team uh so I'm rooting for Gonzaga to get picked off and I hope it happens sooner than later well for the same reason I think Baylor kind of has the same mindset I think they know they're talented enough to beat you with their guys but in the tournament man if you don't if you don't get out of that it it, Turns out to bite you in the ass. I wanted to circle back here and talk about one game we haven't touched on, and it's obviously the biggest Cinderella of the tournament. We talked about it before we got on air. Um, Oral Roberts is still alive. Uh, they are the second largest spread on this slate, 11 and a half points. It's been fun. I didn't really know much about Arkansas going into the tournament. I've seen enough. Uh, I didn't really think Oral Roberts did enough to beat Florida. I bet them live in game. I took the prop of uh, the the boost for them to win outright in that game plus 600 on DraftKings. It was great. I profited off of Oral Roberts. I love them. I love everything they've done for me. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I think they are uh, in a tough spot here against Arkansas. And, you know, 
for the same point, again, Florida was in control of that game. And they were up by a sizable margin most of the way. And then they just crumbled at the end. I kind of saw that happening just because I know man's a freshman on Florida. They had some younger guys. I feel like in the tournament, especially you need to have some guys to slow the tempo of the game down or change the pace up at a given time when, uh, when momentum shifting, you see some good teams do it. You see the teams that blow the leads, not do it. Rutgers, um, a la Rutgers and Syracuse too. Syracuse. I can't even believe they fucking managed to win that game. Houston had a shot to win at the end. So, um, you know, you need you need a veteran ball handler to take care of business towards the end of the game. And I, I don't know. I like what Arkansas has to offer. Where are you at with Oral Roberts? I mean, is this where the Cinderella kind of gets put to rest here as 11-point dogs here? Yeah, so, Oral, so in the last 16 teams that are in the field, 12 of them are in the top 20 in adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm. So that's very tightly grouped and you got to scroll all the way down to 129th in the country to find Oral Roberts. It is a true Cinderella story. Uh, They are brilliantly coached, very confident kids. Um, I actually, their demeanor in the Ohio state game when they won the game and even throughout, they were never overly hyped. They looked like they were calm, cool, relaxed and ready to take care of business in round two. Whereas Abilene Christian when they beat Texas, it was literally like New Year's Eve. You know, that was their shining moment. You knew they didn't have another one in them. Oral Roberts was in this for the long haul. So I was not – I was weary about the Florida game, especially because Florida is not very good, simply put. Florida played hard. They didn't – they weren't flat or anything. Oral Roberts just beat them. Uh, all that being said, Oral Roberts finally – and Ohio State was extremely injured in that game. Young is really their glue guy on offense. Uh, he didn't play – uh, Liddell had a really poor game. Ohio State was just at primed for for an upset there. They, if I didn't realize Young was going to be out in the first round, this is a bad matchup for Oral Roberts. Arkansas likes to run, so does Oral Roberts. Arkansas got a test with Colgate in the first round. They play a similar brand as Oral Roberts, and they bounced back and crushed them. Uh, held on late against Texas, a surging Texas Tech team. Uh, I just think probably the Cinderella story comes to an end here i think the line should be closer to 15 or 16 uh i got 10 and a half this morning so i think arkansas is a strong play yeah and, and i love i love everything about him you know the, the the whole story behind it but you're right I, I think florida wasn't that good of a team to begin with i just i didn't bet it more because i had confidence in oral roberts i just kind of knew florida just wasn't going to get the job done for whatever reason but i love where march is at right now it is great. This is March. Uh, free agency is going on. Um, you know, March Madness is hitting the fan here. I love it. It's good to be back. It feels feels amazing. Um, again, I just think about uh, think back to last year. We didn't have any of this really going on. Uh, there was free agency, but I mean, this was fun. I mean, we talked about it. Um, you know, off air, and and you say you said you were in a daze from watching so much basketball, but it's like. You know, I missed out on all college basketball this season. I told you that the first time you came on and we talked about this. And now I'm so, you know, in it that it's like, I don't want it to end. Yeah, I don't want it to end. There's only eight games this weekend. It's like shit. Like, you know, it's, there's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. Just waking up, you know, Friday to freaking Monday, just basketball from 12 to nine o'clock at night. It's great. I mean, I, this is March. That's all I keep saying. I said it like 19 times this weekend. This is March. And this is probably one of the crazier ones, you know? I mean, in recent memory, with all these double-digit dogs out there, we still got one, three one-seeds. We still have three one-seeds out there, but 
you know, pretty, pretty wild so far in the first two rounds. So that was my feeling too. And then you, you really look at the numbers and it's not as crazy as we thought, you know, some teams that you would never have expected to win one, but you can always find the reason why, you know, there's Texas against Abilene Christian. Texas is one of the worst teams in the country, assist to turnover ratio and Abilene Christian traps you, you know, UCLA doesn't turn the ball over. They were a nightmarish matchup for Abilene Christian a little disappointed in myself for not doing a little bit deeper dive into the analytics. I think I could have really fished out some of these upsets, to be honest with you. I don't think it's quite as random as we are think it is. And maybe that's going to have people a little bit ambitious on dogs this weekend, Mm -hmm. but like Oregon state, I, I love Loyola Chicago in this game. I think this should be at least a double digit spread. Uh, You know, Oregon state had fate. And one more point before we, we wrap this up. Some of these kids with lottery picks, these teams with lottery pick type talent, I don't think they wanted to win bad enough. I don't think Cade Cunningham wanted to win the game badly enough in the second half against Oregon State. Oregon State was exhausted. They had nothing left. He should have been able to get to the 10 every possession, worst case, get to the foul line. And he was just settling for fadeaway jumpers, never wanted to really break a sweat, wanted to keep it cool, look calm and collected. Come on, man, have a little grit and intensity and will to win. I saw that with a lot of teams that had the quote unquote more talent. And, you know, now that the one and done is, is a, is a thing in college basketball, I think more and more we are seeing it's a closer gap between the very good mid-major teams and the mediocre power fives. I now think you don't even need, I think they're better teams, frankly, they're they're better basketball teams. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I, See, my thing is too, and I told you the first first time you were on, is just that some of these some of these programs they just don't change. Like that's the thing with Syracuse too. It's like as much as things change and the players change, a lot of it stays the same. Like as crazy as that is, so it's it's like so funny to me. It's like I, that's what I love about college basketball. Really, that's what it is. I told you I was like I've been out of it, but I feel like I'll be able to pick it back up just like that. Obviously, and analytically, it helps to know certain tendencies to eye out these. Uh, you know, these upsets instead of just thinking, yeah, momentum has everything to do with it. But still, like, you know, it's nice that it's a sport that you could just kind of hop back into when you're like, okay, well, here are the big names here, you know, here, here's what's going on. And, you know, but credit to you too with Loyola Chicago. I mean, I knew they were a ranked team. I knew they were solid. I knew they were on the up and coming up and up, but, you know, I didn't think they were really going to put the staple in my eyes, at least that like, they're here. Like, I really like they're, they're a program. Like they're, they're, they're they're probably the third or fourth favorite to win the whole thing right now. In my, in my eyes, from what I've seen, you know, there's no game that I think is too big for them. I think even if they faced Houston, I think they match up really well against Houston. Yeah. That's like a pick them game. I think maybe Houston's a two point favorite at most, something in that range. Which then I'm hammering Loyola. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Um, this was great. So for the people listening, Campy stopped talking a while ago, and that's because Campy left. He had to go attend a call or whatever he had to do. Uh, so he's not here, but shout out to Campy. I appreciate him coming on Talking Jets. Pat, I appreciate you. It was no one appreciates you more than me. I appreciate it. Buddy. We, will, we, will talk, uh, <laughs> we will talk again before the Final Four. Oh, yeah. We're, we'll talk again before the Final Four. We're going to talk before this weekend. Uh, after what we talked about today, I'm putting some things in. I have a little parlay action going on just because to have some fun with Real it. Quick, final, uh, but the, final Four prediction. Yeah. What do you got for me? 
So I still have teams alive. So my final four, the only one that's not there. So I had Gonzaga, Florida State on the one side, and then I have Baylor. And in the East, I – well, actually, no, all four of them are alive. I have Houston, but I don't think it's going to be Houston. I want to change. All four of them are alive in my bracket. I have Houston, Baylor, uh, Florida State, and Zags. I don't think – I still don't think it's going to shape out that way. Give me Loyal Chicago in there. I want to ride my guys. I want to ride my guys. So that's where I'm at with it. We have two ones, a four, and an eight. That's pretty good. I'm going to go with Baylor, Loyola, Alabama, and USC in my final four. I like Bama too. That's the other thing. I like Bama. I'm overseeing them. See, like I was sold on whoever won that Florida State-Michigan uh, matchup would be the ones to kind of take it because they're battle tested. But I now told I told you you would like Bama. I literally said you will like Bama once you watch them. <laughs> you kept telling me. I, I bet them just not enough. Like I honestly have just stood away because I haven't just – you know, again, I didn't know enough. I didn't watch enough of them. So, like, you told me I'd like them, and now I'm just, like, into it. But They didn't cover against Iona. Iona played really well in that game. And that was another reason I stood away. Well, that was the thing, too, Ricky P. I was like, how am I going to bet against Patino here? <laughs> I was like, that's my guy. They played awesome. They really they did. did. They did. I'm excited. I hope I hope he stays there. I, I think Iona, and coming from the MAC, I mean, they're not world beaters in that conference. They got to pretty much beat – you know, the same team every year. I know Quinnipiac's in there and so on and so forth. Maris hasn't done anything. That's who I covered. So, um, you know, that's a winnable conference for them and they didn't have a great regular season. So I don't know. I think we'll see Rick Pitino in years to come. Me so, too. Absolutely. They're, they're building a nice thing there. They're a really good recruiting class coming next year. So I'll look forward to following them. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But Pat, this was great. We'll talk again. And uh, this is March. Hey man. See ya. That interview with Pat DiMartino and Bill Campy was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Big shout out to the two of them for coming on. That was awesome. Uh, always a great time chatting with them. Uh, Campy gave tons of insight from a Jets fan perspective on their moves this offseason. And listen to what Pat has to say. Uh, we're still riding our futures bets on Michigan, USC. Uh, we got teams alive. Loyola Chicago, uh, if you followed us in our March Madness episodes, you know that we have those bets way ahead of time, but I'll tell you again here, 16 teams left, three of our futures are still good, Pat has some more, but that's what I'm in on, and uh, I feel good about it, I feel pretty good about them, so I hope you guys do too. This is March, the Sweet 16 is this weekend, so enjoy those games, we don't have many left, we're almost running out of time here in March, but this is March still, I can't get enough of saying it, so... Thank you for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Love you. Talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.